Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Welcome to the Least of These Podcasts. We reach out to those the world has forgotten. If you'd like to know more about us and how you can donate to help us fulfill our mission, go to hisloveministries.net. Thank you very much and God bless you. chapter 8 today and we kind of stopped last week at a spot that was I guess pretty good there because the Lord led us right to it so we can start in verse 34 talking about Christ dying and rising again so that's what today's all about so remember the book of Romans is about God's righteousness being revealed that's what it says in Romans 1 verse 17 it's by faith we're saved by grace and that not of ourselves, it is what? The gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast, right? If there was something we could do to get into heaven, there was no need for Jesus to come. He didn't do some of it. He did all of it, right? When he died on the cross, the last thing he said is it's finished. And so chapters 1 through 3 talk about our condemnation, that all of sin had come short of the glory of God. Chapters 4 and 5 talked about our justification, how we can be saved. Chapters 6 through 8 talk about sanctification after you're saved, that you become more and more like Jesus Christ, right? Chapters 9 through 11 talk about Israel's election, rejection, and their restoration. And then chapters 12 through 16 are really the, the also the practical section, the applicational section. In other words, he says, based on everything I said, now this is how you live your life, right? And so the Bible always tells us, this is who you are, and now this is how you live. Remember, maybe when you were a kid and your and your mom or dad would say, now you're a, you know, I'm going to put my name in there, you're a McKenzie, now go out and act like a McKenzie, don't go embarrass us, right? But that's what God says, he says, now this is who you are, now go live like you're supposed to. We're supposed to be Christ-like, right? So remember last week we said, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against it? He who, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Now here's where we're at today. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sakes we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors 
through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So today we want to start in verse 34. Who is, it, who is he who condemns? And then he says, It is Christ who has died and furthermore is also risen and is at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. So in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 2 verse 5, it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. You know, and one man said it this way, even Jesus can't do both. He can't accuse us and, and declare us righteous at the same time, right? And since his burial and his resurrection declares us legally righteous when we trust him, we can stand uncondemned and unchargeable even as much as the Son himself, Jesus Christ. It is impossible after having been justified that we be again accused and brought under condemnation. And Jesus is God's appointed judge, right? Remember he says in Philippians 2, he says that uh, basically that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father, right? And here's one of the verses I like in John 5, 22. He says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. And in verse 27 it says, And has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. And so Paul, when he asks this question, he says, Who is it? Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. In other words, well, he, he answers it with Christ, right? Christ is the very one that we've trusted for our salvation. And if we've trusted him to forgive us and save us, how can he condemn us? And he gives us four reasons here in this section. He says, number one, it is Christ who died. And 1 Thessalonians 5.10 says, Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So he died for us, and what did he do? When we put our trust in him, he removed all of our guilt, right? He, he declared that he saves us, he forgives us, and he removes our guilt because he takes our guilt, right? And when he did that, he took all of the guilt, and he declares us righteous. So it is Christ who died. He died for our sins, as 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 says. So first, he died for us and removed our guilt. Second, he arose from the dead and therefore is able to give life to those who trust him. John 14, verse 19 says, A little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. And so basically, Jesus... He died, but he's also risen. And that, that's the most important thing of it all. Like I said, when you go back to Romans chapter 2, it be chapter 4, I believe it is, verse 25. What does Paul say there? He was delivered up for our offenses, but he was raised for our justification. He died for our sins, but he was raised that we might be declared righteous. So if he'd never risen from the grave, guess what? We would still be dead in our sins and our trespasses, right? And what does it say in Romans chapter 1, verse 4? 
that he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. He was declared to be the son of God with power by the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so when he rose from the grave, it proved that God the Father was satisfied with, the, with the, uh, his sacrifice. And it proved that he was God. And it proved that all of our sins had been paid for. And now we didn't have to worry about them anymore. And then thirdly, he says he's also ascended to the supreme position of authority, right? In heaven where he represents us. What does he say here? He, who is he that condemns it is Christ who died? And reason number one. Number two, he's risen. Number three, who is even at the right hand of God. So he's at the right hand of God. What is the right hand? That's the power of authority, right? That's the position of authority is the right hand. And when God says somebody's at the right hand, he's at the position of authority. And that's kind of the verse I wanted to use a minute ago, I guess. But I kind of jumped ahead of myself. Then Philippians chapter 2, that because he has died, even the death of the cross, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to what? The glory of God the Father, right? And so he sits at the right hand and he's in that position of authority where he represents us. And then fourthly, the fourth reason, he says, who also makes intercession for us. He's not only paid for our sins, declared us righteous, sitting at the right hand with all the power and authority and every bit of power and every bit of authority, but he also intercedes for us. You know, if, if, if it wasn't for that, we could be in trouble, right? You know, uh, think about that. That it says in Hebrews 7.25, that uh, he is also, therefore he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for us. The son is always praying for us. Isn't that great that, to know that when nobody else loves us, when nobody else seems to care, or when nobody seems to love us, nobody seems to care. I know there's always somebody that loves us. But sometimes we think nobody loves us, nobody cares. But we know that God the Son always is interceding for us. And God the Father always loves us because that's why he sent his Son. And then 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so he's up there saying... When the devil comes and accuses us, we were talking about that the other day, that the, that the Father looks at Jesus and Jesus says, Sorry, Satan, I paid for that sin. And he said, Well, what about that? And he said, Nope, paid for that one too. He said, What about that? He said, Nope, sorry, paid for that one too. You don't have no grounds to stand on. I've paid for all the sins. Remember in Luke chapter 22, verse 30 and 31, or excuse me, 31 and 32, and right before Simon rejected Jesus well he didn't reject him but he denied him is what he did he he didn't reject him but he denied him he said Simon Simon listen Satan has asked permission to sift all of you like wheat but I have prayed especially for you that your own faith may not utterly fail and so he prayed for 
Peter, Simon. He called him Simon because he was the shifty one, the, the one that was the shaky one. And he, he wasn't acting like Peter to rock, so he called him Simon. And he says, guess what? I have prayed for you that you won't utterly fail. And then it was he saying, when you have turned back, do what? Go and strengthen the brethren, right? And who was Peter? He was the number one disciple. Every time they're named, he's number one. But that just goes to tell us that nobody, that none of us is immune to falling and having problems and messing up. Even Paul wasn't perfect. He said, I hadn't arrived, I hadn't made it. And he needs an intercessor in heaven. All of us do, right? And so certainly the judge will not condemn his own who are in Christ, right? Remember how we started out this chapter so long ago? Seems like it says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We may accuse ourselves and men may accuse us and the devil may accuse us. But God will never take us to court and accuse us because Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sin and we are secure in him. Let's look at verses 35 to 39 see if we can finish this up today. He says, Through such love we are more than conquerors over all things. And for some reason, I don't know why, I used to, I guess I used to hear preachers, you know, when you start really studying the Bible for yourself, sometimes you kind of have to unlearn some of the stuff that, that you hear that, that when you were a kid and all, like, you know, the three wise men and all the things and stuff like that. They were probably, we don't know how many wise men they were, but they were way more than three. These were the kingmakers, you know, and then, then the manger and Jesus was already in a house by the time, it'd be, he was two years old by the time the, the Magi made it there. And so a lot of things you have to unlearn. And for some reason, uh, I always thought that this verse used to say, what shall separate us? From the love of Christ. It doesn't. It says who shall separate us from the love of Christ. So he's going to name all these things. And he's going to name people and us. And all kinds of things. And he's going to cover every single thing. One guy said, you know, if you could find something here that's not named, I'll give you $10 million. But you know what? He didn't have to ever worry about giving that $10 million. Because there's nothing here that's not covered. Because you know what? He covered every single thing and he says, who and what shall separate us? None, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. So he starts out and says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And in verse 31 to 34, what Paul did is he proved that God cannot fail us. But now in verses 35 to 39, you know what he's going to do? He's going to prove that, that we cannot fail him that nothing in this world can separate us from him. He's not going to separate us. But, you know, I, I've had people tell me, well, you can walk off from Christ. We'll cover that in a minute. But, you know, they, the Bible says whoever believes has eternal life. Not will have, but it has has right now. And so he says, suppose some great temptation should come and we fall. Then what? Paul's going to deal with that fact with this in that final section and show us that nothing can separate us. So he says first of all who shall separate us from the love of God Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or perilous sword. Let's stop right there. 
So John 10, 29, you'll remember this verse. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he's basically saying, and then he goes on and then he begins to tell us not the who's, but now he begins to tell us the what's. You know, and then he starts out with tribulation. And, you know, sometimes people think when they go through trials and trouble and stuff, they think, well, well, God doesn't love me anymore. But you remember what Hebrews 12, 5 says, if you're without chastening from God, then you're illegitimate. You're not his child, right? Because those he loves, he does what? He chastens, right? I mean, when you were, I, I believe that probably all of y'all have had children, and when you had children, what did you do? When they were bad, you did what? You chased them, right? Because you had, to, you had to teach them the correct thing to do. And if you don't correct your children, that just shows that you don't love them. Because I always tell people, say, would you let your child go play out in the middle of a busy highway? You know, and, and you'd say no. But yet some people do other things that ends up just as bad as letting them play out in the middle of a busy highway, right? They may as well have just let them go ahead and play out in the middle of a busy highway and, and let the child go ahead and get gone because they allow that child to go through so much and cause so much heartache to themselves and everybody else because they didn't train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He says that he deals with us as children and because he loves us, what does he do? He, he uh, chastens us. And remember, chastening is not always because we've done something bad. Chastening sometimes, you know, James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, right? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance or patience. And then he says, and let patience have its perfect work. Don't say, God, get me out of the trial, but what do you want me to get out of the trial? What do you want me to learn in the trial? And he says, but let patience have its perfect work that you be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Even when Jesus was on the cross and he allowed the Father to, the Father allowed the Son to suffer, where was the Father at? He was still right there, right? You know, people sometimes say, well, where was God? Where's God in my life? Why is he allowing all this stuff? And, and, and I've heard several people, several great preachers say, same place he was when he allowed his son to die on the cross. It has a purpose. There's a plan and a purpose. And it takes these things to, to get us to the place where God can use us sometimes. And I heard it said, of a, especially for people who are called to do ministry, that he can use no man, and that would be probably men, women, and whatever, but no man or woman greatly until he's hurt them greatly. Because we take a lot of, takes a lot to get us to where he can use us and, and work in our lives. The first thing he mentions here, he's going to mention seven things and they increase in intensity. And these are all things that a believer might experience. And Paul had experienced every single one of them except for the last one, that sword. And he would before he died and he proved that he, he could experience that. But the first thing he says here is tribulation, or maybe your Bible might say trouble, and it means pressure or distress. It means trouble or distress. 
And uh, what it means is just common trouble that we would go through in our life, right? And then he goes on to talk about this hardship or this distress. And it means to be in a narrow place, sort of like, uh, what's the old saying we used to have? I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. It's a narrow place and you can't get out. And that's kind of what it's talking about, being hemmed in, being hemmed in, and, and uh, you're in a bad place. And so he says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution, and, and we're, we know what persecution is. We're talking about persecution for what? Speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ and living for him, right? We're not talking about persecution just because of any other thing. But uh, remember 1 Timothy, I think it's 3.7 says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer, right? And Peter says, don't think it's strange when you go through the fiery trials, you know, because he, you know, you're going to go through them because of Christ. He says, what good is it if you suffer for doing good? But he, uh, for doing bad, but he says, but you do good, and then you're going to suffer because Christ Jesus also suffered. And he says, who, when he suffered, he reviled not. He, he didn't go back at the people, but he suffered, and he endured because that's what we're called to do. And we know what famine is, going hungry, and sometimes people starve because they're the people of the Lord, and they won't let them have the things they need. And that could just mean pure, just famine. That could mean being poor and then nakedness kind of describes the same thing. Not necessarily running around naked, but just not having the bare necessities, you know, not having the things that you need. And then, of course, peril. Remember that chapter in 2 Corinthians 12 where Paul says he was in peril of robbers and peril of countrymen and peril of uh, the Jews and peril of this and peril of that. He was in peril of everything, right? And that was just constant danger because what? He was a Christian, right? And he was living the Christian life. And they were trying to kill him. And that's the last thing that he says there. And sword means basically one of these short daggers. It doesn't mean like the long dagger. In the Bible, there's two different kinds of words. There's the word for the long sword. But this is, a close, this is like the short dagger, 6 to 12 inches or so at the most. And that would be somebody you would murder somebody with. And remember, that's what they tried to do with Paul all his life, just like they did Jesus, right? And they've been doing that to Christians ever since then. They want to kill them. And so it ends with death, basically. And, and you know, instead of these things separating us from, from God, they're part of the all things. Remember, we talked about that in Romans 8, 28. Did all things do what? work together for good to those that love God. And then he says in verse 32, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then here, he's talking about all things again. And so the next thing he does here is he says in verse 36, he quotes a, a scripture from Psalm 44, verse 22, and verse 36 to remind us that, that the people of God are going to experience affliction. They're going to experience persecution. And we know today more and more and more people are dying. Uh, you know, remember that book, book, Fox's Book of Martyrs and 
But you know, people, we haven't really suffered it here in the whole United States a whole lot. But if things keep going the way they're going, we're going to, it's going to get worse and worse and worse because people are moving further and further and further away from the Lord and things are getting worse and worse and worse. And, but in these other countries, basically, and the, the Christians' lives were as nothing more than animals to be butchered, you know. And that they were, he says, for your sake we are killed all day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. You know, people don't think twice. At least most people don't think twice when they kill a sheep or an animal to eat. They, they realize that they have to die. But that's all these people think of, right? Acts chapter 5, verse 41 says, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Let's look at verse 37. And then he begins here in this great crescendo, this great ending here, and he says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Like I said, there's all things in Romans 8, 28, all things in verse 32, and then here in verse 37, I kind of got ahead of myself. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. What things? All the things that we just mentioned, all the things that we're going to mention in just a minute, right? And he's kind of dealt with with um, different things, and now he's going to deal more with some other things that could separate us. And when he says here, when he says that, what's he doing? He's just saying there's no way that we can lose our salvation. There's no way we can be separated from God. And really, one guy said it could possibly translate a Hebraism, which means despite all these things, we are more than conquerors. In other words, you know, what's the old saying? What doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Well, that's in a way maybe true for non-believers, but it's should be really true for Christians, right? That, it, that as we go through things, we not only come out on the other side and, and victorious, but we come out as a better person. You know, tribulation worketh patience, patience, character, and then character gives us hope. That's Romans 5, verse 3 and 4. And he begins to list the extremities of this, of our existence in this, in this verse and the next one. And he says here in verse 38 he says this word 37 excuse me in verse 37 he says that we are more than conquerors that's the word where we get i guess nike took the word for conquer you know and and this is the word that means super conquer uh we could really pretend that we're like superman and we got a big s on our chest that we're super conquerors we're that no matter what the world throws at us if we're truly christians Guess what? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. The cross is that great proof of God's love for us, and it's the basis for our victory. It proves that God is for us. And then he goes on and lists ten more things, and he kind of starts where he ended. He, he ended with death the last time, and now he's going to start with death, and he listed seven things. Now he's going to add ten more things to that, and no matter what happens, we cannot be separated from God. So what does he say here in verse 38? He says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you notice right there at the end of verse 37, he said, we are more than conquerors, what? Through him who loved us. Remember, Paul always says through Jesus, by Jesus, in Jesus. And those are the things that are important when you're in Jesus, when you know Christ is your Savior, it's always through him and by him and for him. And what does Romans 11 do that talks about that? All things are by him and for him. And, and uh, let me read that. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen, right? And Paul gives us great benediction there before he starts the next section. And so he says, first of all, that death cannot separate us. Death cannot separate us. No matter what, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. What did Paul say? In first in Philippians chapter 1, I think verse 21, he said, you know, uh, he talks about whether to go and be with Christ or to stay here with you. I'm hard-pressed between the two. To live as Christ, to die as gain. So no matter whether I'm here, I'm doing something for the Lord. But if I'm gone, I'm with the Lord. <laughs> That's, you know, so no matter what happens, it's good. And so no matter what, we're always in God's presence. Nothing can separate us. And then he goes on to talk about angels or principalities or powers. Now, I think when he talks about angels, he could be talking about good angels. And here, you know, good angels would not separate us from God because they are God's servants, right? Hebrews 1 talks about that, or maybe it's chapter 2, the end of chapter 1, he says that they are God's ministers to minister those who will inherit salvation. You know, we talk about everybody's got an angel. I don't know, we got our own personal angel, but the angels do minister. The angels do take care of us, and sometimes they protect us and help us and stop us from doing stupid things by, by uh, working on our behalf. But so, and then the demons he's talking about here, and I think that the principalities, I think that's what he's talking about. If you remember in uh, Ephesians 6, it talks about, uh, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. And what I think he's talking about is levels of spiritual wickedness. Just as there's authorities in heaven, guess what? These And authorities on earth, there's authorities in the spiritual realm. Why? Remember in uh, Daniel chapter 10, I think it was, where Gabriel came and he said... Uh, the prince of Persia withstood me for 21 days while you were praying, Daniel. But your prayer has been answered since the beginning. But the prince of Persia was holding back the answer. And then Michael, the chief archangel, came and, and, and we withstood him and I brought the answer. You know, so there was a spiritual battle going on. And so he says that the demons cannot separate us from God. They are not, they are created beings. They're not, they're not able, they're not as strong as God, right? And, and so then there's extremes in time. Well, excuse me, let me get the powers. And that could be also talking about demonic, but also could be talking about things like kings and rulers and presidents and, you know, people that, that whatever, that from the lowest uh, authority in the United States or wherever in the world to the highest authority. Nobody, no person can separate us from God, right? 
And then he goes on to say, nor things present or things to come. In other words, there's nothing that's happening right now. There's nothing that's going to happen in the future that could separate you from the love of God. And then he says, nor height or depth. And here, we don't know exactly what he's talking about, but, but remember when he, in Ephesians 3, when he says, he's praying and he says that you'd know what is the width and the length and the depth and the height of this love and to know this love that surpasses all understanding. He's probably just talking about just the greatness, the total completeness of God's, of everything. There's nothing anywhere that can separate us, right? Paul may have used them as astrological terms that were, fam- that were familiar in his day, referring to the height, high point or zenith of a, part of a star's path and its depth as its lowest. But no matter what it means... It means that Christ's love secures a believer from the beginning of uh, to the end of life's pass. And maybe it meant just the infinity of space, which means every way and every direction. And, you know, they don't even know where space ends and where time ends. They can't even find it because it's still expanding, right? And then he goes on to say, nor any other created thing. Guess what? Everything is created. Uh, there's nothing that was created that didn't happen because unless it was by God, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. And so absolutely nothing in his creation can separate us. And so that's kind of the way he ends with that. Can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Not even the redeemed can remove themselves from God's love because Christ has secured it for us. Our eternity is not based in what we did to get it. And if there's nothing we do that can get it for us or earn it or deserve it or pay for it, guess what? There's nothing we can do to give it away because it's Christ who gave it to us, right? And if he gave it to us, He's surely not going to take it back, right? Let's talk about a couple of lessons because reviewing this chapter in this last section shows that the Christian is completely victorious. So first of all, we're free from judgment because Christ died for us and we have his righteousness. He died for us and now we're righteous. When God the Father looks down and he sees Marty, I'm in the eyes of God the Father, I'm as righteous as his son Jesus Christ. And you are too if you're a believer. That doesn't mean we are that righteous, but he declares us that righteous. That he has declared us legally righteous. Like I said, that's like going before the court, and the court finds you guilty, and then the governor brings in a, a pardon, and he says, Mr. McKenzie, we know you're guilty, but here's your pardon. That's what God does when we ask for forgiveness and save, and to save us because of what Jesus did on the cross. We're free from defeat because Christ lives in us and by his spirit, we share his life. You know, we have Holy Spirit power that he is able to do, to finish that verse I was quoting a minute ago in Ephesians 3.20, he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or think according to his power that works in us mightily. Two more lessons and we'll be through. We are free from discouragement because Christ is coming for us and we shall share his glory. That's that hope. 
tribulation worketh patience, patience character, and character hope because Jesus is our blessed hope. We know that one day this is going to pass and one day that the glory will be greater than the suffering, Romans 8, 18. And then we're free from fear because Christ intercedes for us and we cannot be separated from his love. And what did he say in the previous section over here? Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, children and heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If God be for us, who can be against us? That great preacher, I don't know if you've heard of him before, Donald Gray Barnhouse, he told a story one day when his that illustrated the powerlessness of death over Christians and his wife died and his children were still quite young and and Mr. Dr. Barnhouse wondered how he could explain their mother's death in a way that their childish minds would understand and as they drove home from a funeral a large truck passed them and briefly cast a dark shadow of the car immediately Dr. Barnhouse had the illustration he was looking for for his children, and he said, Children, would you rather be run over by a truck or by the shadow of the truck? And they said, That is easy, Daddy. We'd rather get over, run over by the shadow because that wouldn't hurt. And the father said, Well, children, your mother just went through the valley of the shadow of death, and there's no pain there either. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fare no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Well, let's pray and we'll close. We'll sing one more song. We'll be through. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for who you are. We ask that you would just speak mildly to our hearts today. If there's one that doesn't know you, is not sure if they die today, they'd go to heaven. That they would cry out today and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. Save me. And that you would hear because they ask in faith. That you said it and they believe it. And they're putting their trust in you to get them to heaven. So, Father, do that today. Lord, help us to remember today that you rose from the grave and you're a mighty victor over your foes. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, I'm Marty McKenzie with His Love Ministries. Please help us reach out to those the world has forgotten. Everyone we minister to is locked up in some way, shape, or form. Those in the nursing home facilities are locked up in bodies that do not work in a wheelchair or in a bed. We minister to children and youth who are locked up because of behavioral problems. Some have told us we want to have a real family because their parents have lost or given up custody of them. Other kids are locked up because they've committed crimes. We also minister to those locked up at the jails and the prisons, to those locked up in addictions, to drugs, alcohol, depression, and suicidal thoughts, to those locked up in a variety of other things that keep them from becoming who Jesus wants them to be. He came to give us abundant life, joy, and set us free, and these people that we minister to are not free. Our desire is to show them whatever their background, no matter what they've done, to see how much God loves them. We seek to help them receive forgiveness and freedom from their sin in Jesus Christ. We minister in the local area of Savannah, Georgia, and surrounding Effingham and Chatham area. We have recently expanded our ministry to 
to the Lexington, Columbia, South Carolina area. We do over 2,000 services every year. We hope and pray that you will support us in some way that so we can continue our mission. Go to hisloveministries.net and click on the Donate Now button or send it via regular mail to Post Office Box 1881, Lexington, South Carolina, 29071. We hope and pray that you will do that. Thank you and God bless you. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. John 832.